the effects of intermodal transportation affect you and your business and the economy? We'll find out more as I speak to Ruth Snowden, Executive Director at CIFA. You're going to want to check that episode out at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 13. So go and check that out. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. Welcome back, Let's Talk listeners. If you are loving the show, please show us some love by rating and reviewing us on iTunes so others can find us. Plus, I will feature you on an upcoming episode. Or if you can't leave a review in your podcast app, please email me at listener at letstalksupplychain.com. I'm not only featuring you on the show, I'm also featuring you on the website at letstalksupplychain.com. We cannot bring this podcast to you without the support of our community, and that includes our sponsors. Border Buddy approached me to sponsor the podcast, and I thought it was a no-brainer because I love what they are doing and how they are disrupting the industry. Border Buddy is taking a modern, fresh approach to clearing goods And I have been in this industry for over 20 years, and I've never seen anything like this before. I mean, guys, our industry is changing right before our eyes, and Border Buddy is who you will want on your side as they are forward-thinking and do amazing things like integrate with your online platforms, including Shopify, and they can clear and help you import your personal shipments as well. Whether you are in the USA or Canada, Border Buddy is your only choice for a partner when you import to North America. Visit them at borderbuddy.com for more information. So today is another amazing show, another part of our Woman in Supply Chain series. And yes, we are up to part Seven, can you believe it? I cannot believe how much this series has grown in popularity and that we were, we are seven episodes in. There are so many amazing powerhouse women in this industry. Please email me and let me know if there's one that you would like to see me feature coming up in some future episodes. So just, you know, email me and let me know because I know that there are so many amazing women in this industry that maybe don't get the recognition that they deserve. And we, you know, we should really show them some love. So to really do let me know, because I love getting to know these amazing women and sharing their journeys, providing advice to you guys and the fabulous things they are doing in supply chain. Today is no different as I introduce you to Mary Long. Mary is a board advisor, clinical professor, and international speaker. She has built an extensive career leading supply chains for companies including Campbell's Soup, General Mills, Pillsbury, and Quaker Oats slash Gatorade, and most recently as a supply chain VP at Domino's. Her teams at Domino's included logistics, sourcing, engineering, systems, 
data analytics, sustainability, and safety. Three outcomes have characterized her work. Stronger customer-focused supply chains, better data analytics capabilities and insights, and stronger teams. In 2017, Mary made a leap from industry into academia and is now a professor of practice and managing director of the Supply Chain Management Institute in the Business School of University of San Diego. She has served as chair of the Board of directors of the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals, so CSCMP, and serves on the advisory boards for awesomeleaders.org and hashtag hashmove.com. I'm going to have to go and check that one out. Mary has an undergraduate degree in quantitative business analysis from Cleveland State University and an MBA in operations and logistics from The Ohio State University. So welcome to the show, Mary. Thanks, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that you took the time. You know, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. And I know that our listeners are going to learn so much from you today. So let's take a deep dive in and get started. So you have had an extensive career leading supply chain companies um, for some of the most recognizable brands. Can you tell us about your journey and how you got started? Sure. Um, and uh, just one caveat there, you know, you might have oversold the beginning there, but we'll see how it goes. Um, for, for my background, it is interesting. I've been with a lot of branded companies. I started right out of the gate from Ohio State's MBA program and went into a role at Quaker Oats. And then from Quaker, went to Pillsbury, General Mills, acquired Pillsbury, went from General Mills to Campbell's, and then from Campbell's kind of took a pivot into um, food service area, really restaurants with Domino's Pizza, or now just Domino's. And um, now took another 180, and I'm in academia. So it's been a really fun career journey. During that time, I have Started in managing transportation, um, analyzing freight spends, uh, leading transportation and logistics networks and teams. And at Domino's, I had a very wide role, which was the engineering team, supply chain systems, the private fleet and logistics and uh, uh, safety. Uh, I ran operations in Canada, actually, for a while, and uh, manufacturing in the U.S. and our global equipment and supply division. Wow. So you've, you've kind of been like here, there, and everywhere and, and touched all sorts of points in the supply chain. Very many. It's been a great, it has really been a great ride. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So let's get sort of, you know, um, the mistakes over with, you know, what mistakes did you make in your career and and maybe sort of how did you learn from them? Mm. Uh, You know, it's a great question. As I think back, uh, I made a lot of bad decisions and um, I really like the the quote that's attributed, I think it's to Edison that, you know, he didn't, he didn't fail 10,000 times. He tried 10,000 things that didn't work. And um, for the most part, I really tried to embrace that philosophy that, you know, I was always way harder on myself than other people were. And so I looked at the things I failed at and I would really try to pause and reflect on it and figure out what I could learn from it. So it 
it wasn't always easy to do that, but um, there were times where, uh, you know, I'd say most of the time it's about like how you're treating people and you have to think back on whether that was the right approach and did that work. It isn't ever really about the things that hang you up are the like you agonize over how you analyze a spreadsheet that you learn from and move on it the but how you deal with people that sticks with you well yeah because supply chain is so relationship driven right it's about you know it's about networking it's about who you know it's about you know working internally um, because supply chain does touch so many different points in a corporation, you're really finding yourself working with different groups of people. Right, right. I talk with students and we've done some research here at University of San Diego about the things when you look at what companies want out of great supply chain uh, talent, it's they want that equal balance between people who feel comfortable analyzing data but they also feel equally comfortable talking with people uh, in order to understand the deeper insights related to that data. And then great supply chain people always have a bent for execution. Uh, We don't want to just sit there and analyze data and talk to people. It's that third rung of we also like to execute. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So how did you make the decision to make some of the career moves that you did? Um, Again, you worked with a lot of recognizable brands. Um, I do have some young professionals that listen to this, this podcast and they've had questions in the past, you know, how do you even get started in companies like that? So maybe you can share a little bit of, of how you made the decisions in your career to make the, make the leaps. And then also maybe how you even got started with some of those brands and how you got into. Okay. Um, so my approach worked for me and, and I don't know whether this would work for other people or not, but, um, I, my undergrad was quantitative business analysis. I really liked uh, spreadsheets and analyzing, um, even writing computer programs and stuff. So um, I created spreadsheets and even did weighted pairs on like all the characteristics that were important to me. So uh, I did this actually for buying houses too. When my husband and my son and I would relocate, we would, I had a spreadsheet called best house ever. And we did weighted pairs on characteristics that were important to us. So the same principle applied to my job hunt. And I would put down things like, you know, this is a company I would be proud to work for um, is a characteristic. Um, You know, how do they make money? Um, would be a question that I would try to answer by through research and talking to others. Sometimes it's super obvious, but sometimes that's less obvious than you think. Um, you know, I'd have uh, just factoids that I would collect on them relative to uh, their leadership and, and how diverse they were and, um, you know, what their culture, what the um, word on the street is relative to their culture when you research. I think research has gotten a lot easier, although, you know, you have to do a lot of sifting on your own, which is why putting it all together and really overlaying it with um, 
grounding it first in what's important to you and then looking at your research and what it's showing you about different companies. Um, that was my approach. So I used those spreadsheets in order to evaluate different offers. I would compare company A to company B to C, and I would numerically score them based on how they, uh, what I subjectively scored them or the research kind of showed based on a, a one to 10 scale. That's awesome. I love that you sort of took control. You know, a lot of people just sort of go in into it, you know, not really doing the research or even thinking that they have control over what that looks like for them. And you really took control over that. Right. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, I didn't consciously think of it that way, but like that has been everybody's observation when I tell them my process. They're like, yeah, you know, you're in the driver's seat. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I didn't really consciously develop the process it, from the standpoint of I wanted to do that, but maybe subconsciously I did. And um, I think that, you know, everyone tells you you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. But like, that's just a kind of trite saying, unless you've done research and you did interview them, like you're, you know, you put it into practice in some way. So this approach helped me to do that. And even out of my MBA back in 1992, I started my MBA program with a spreadsheet and listed over 200 companies that I thought I would be willing to work for. And then I just kept eliminating them or adding them based on what I found out about them or research I uncovered. And by the end, I was kind of focused on like my list was down to 50 companies like that I would be willing to work for. And I had a goal card that said by a certain date, um, I would be accepting a job from Walt Disney world or better. <laughs> I love that. And did it happen? It did. I worked for Quaker and I loved them. Like it just, it turned out to be like, they were my Disney world. They were, it was awesome. 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 Well, you talk about diversity and um, being one of sort of the, I guess, the core values that you were you were looking for in a company. Um, can you expand a little bit more on that? I mean, I know you've, you've been in several roles for a few different companies. How was the diversity? How was the women in leadership? Did you have, you know, women that were mentors? Did you did or did was it more sort of male advocates that sort of helped you through that sort of career path? Hmm. Um, you know, I had, uh, I would say that's definitely been something that's improved over time. Um, from the standpoint of, more women um, being in the field and more of us being connected through organizations and associations. When I, I was blessed, though, when I started at um, Quaker, uh, there were senior women ahead of me in uh, supply chain. And then it really um, accelerated at uh, Pillsbury and General Mills. At Pillsbury, I reported to a, a female director who reported to a female vice president. And um, it was just a phenomenal group to belong to. From that standpoint, the work that we did was super creative in partnering with customers. Um, 
there was just a, a lot of energy around um, how much we could trendset and like really make a difference in uh, this approach to collaborative logistics. And they walked the talk. It was really great. Yeah, that's so amazing. And, you know, collaboration. So um, for me, collaboration, I see as the future of business. And it is so exciting for me that you even, you know, talk about that and being sort of a female trait, you know, and, and sort of partnering with not only the internal departments around supply chain, but embracing customers around that too. Right. And so I, I caution from, and I don't know why I do this, but I caution from attributing collaboration to um, a gender trait. I think that we as humans innately have the skill that for our own survival, it is to our advantage to figure out how to talk with each other and, and collaborate on getting things done and it, whatever it is from basic, you know, um, how we survived. I think those are skills. I think over time, different skills have received different emphasis um, in corporations, in uh, organization, nonprofit, and wherever. And uh, I agree with you. I think collaboration, it's, it's coming around again as this is a much more complicated area. There's more scientific rigor being put to it. I do think it's under tremendous pressure in my uh, the industry I'm closest with relative to uh, CPG and retail and supply chain uh, with Amazon. And there's a lot of disruption in that marketplace right now. And so a lot of the progress companies had made on collaboration across manufacturers and retailers, it's kind of all in the mix again because there's a tremendous pressure on margins and so much of the landscape changing underneath them. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. That's a, that's a very, very good point. So I know that you've worked in different parts of supply chain, um, various different parts of supply chain. What's your favorite part to work in? <laughs> uh, you know, I kind of really like what I'm doing now. Um, I this is supply chain uh, extended in that um, now I'm about fulfilling the pipeline of talent in supply chain. And um, it's hard. It's challenging. There's not um, super clear paths um, on how we do this and connect industry and academics and students Um so it's exciting to be in this space because it's also just going to be, uh, it's harder and harder for companies to source talent, to recruit, retain, develop talent. So I feel like I'm in a really great spot with helping out the industry as a whole and then really helping to attract more students into such a great field. Like it's just an amazing place to be. Awesome. And just thank you so much for what you're doing for the community, you know, and young professionals. I mean, that's got to be so, so fulfilling. And, um, you know, obviously being on the corporate side and then sort of making that leap into education. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in that community. Thanks. You know, I think we all kind of eventually end up making that journey. Someone, I can't remember who 
gave me the, the framework, but they talked about, you know, you learn and then you earn. And for me now, it's time to give back. And I think we all get to that place where you've, you've done work in uh, industry or, and maybe some people, their whole life has been um, giving back, which is awesome. But now I'm finally catching up to like, this is my time to now give back too. So yeah, I love it. Yeah, really, really great. And I know that there is a bit of a shortage in supply chain talent. So I think as, as many people as possible that can, you know, really rally around the community and, and help with that is um, doing some really great things. So why did you make the leap into education? Is it because, you know, it was sort of that's what you felt was sort of the next step in your career? Uh, I think so. I had not. Uh, I had always been pretty close with the academics, um, they joked uh, through my years of attending the Council of Supply Chain Management Conference, I would always go to the academics conference, which was the, the Sunday prior. And um, everyone was invited to go, but hardly any practitioners would show up. But I loved it. I loved the whole vibe of uh, what they were trying to do. They were always focused on how do they, they, like they would present their research and best papers, but they'd also have a track over the years. They developed a track where they would share with each other best practices in teaching these concepts, which, you know, supply chain is pretty complicated to teach to students. And I just was always impressed, really, really um, amazed at how much thought that they put into it. And so from that, um, that's how I ended up uh, talking with uh, Joel about uh, this role that he was retiring from. And um, the more of my mentors that I approached and talked to about it, they gave me a lot of good things that went in my spreadsheet about pros and cons and characteristics and where I could make a difference in the world. And, um, and so this came out on top. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So I know when we talk about students, we, we sort of assume that there's young professionals that haven't really been in the industry, but I think that it's also important to talk about supply chain professionals that are currently in the industry and what education sort of means for them. So why is it important for business to invest in continuing education for their teams? Yes. Um, so this has come up a lot lately. It's really interesting that you asked that. Um, I have had so many people who have reached out to me and in fact, just last night I was at a CSMP um, event and the, the gentleman sitting next to me was about 10 years into his career. And we were talking about this and I said, you know, one of the things I've noticed is that I get phone calls or emails from people who they're 10 years in and then something has happened in their company or they have a new boss and they say, wow, you know, I knew I should have been networking, but I just, you know, I never did it. And now I'm, I'm worried, like, I don't know what's going to happen. And I said, you know, just send me a resume. Let me take a look. And when I look at it, I'm like, they're going to be fine. They will find a job and it'll all be good. But what's so crazy about it is if they had spent just a little bit of time in networking, what they would have avoided is some of that anxiety 
like that huge wave of anxiety, changes happen in companies all the time. And networking and having a relationship behind the scenes just helps you to not feel so anxious about all of that going on. So I'm sorry, I'm like off on a tangent relative to your education comment, but the, the, the thing that I've noticed is companies kind of um, moved away from investing in that education piece. They used to do it uh, and do a lot of development. And then in kind of re-engineering and restructuring and the focus on cost savings, they let that go for a lot of cost savings, um, theoretically. But I think it came back to bite them in a way that um, they lost people in retention. And when the market was, um, you know, less robust and that was less of an issue, they didn't really notice it until now they really see the impact of we don't have these strong like loyalty connections with people who we've invested in over years of development where when they're approached for a job they they really think hard about what they've gotten from us and what their connection is to us versus jumping to another place yeah you sort of read my mind on that one um, because I think that if a company is willing to invest in that continued education, then somebody feels more connected to that company. Whereas if they're, um, if they want, if they go and do it on their own outside of the company and they've, they've had to pay for it themselves and really, you know, do it all on their own time, they own that themselves a lot more. Right. Um, and don't show as much loyalty to the company because they're like, sort of like, this is what I've done on my own. Mm-hmm. I don't really need you. I mean, I, I need your employment, I guess for now, but now that I am, you know, forced or I'm, I'm educating myself for my own career advancement. If I'm not seeing it here, I am going to go somewhere else. Cause I know I can do it on my own. Right. Well, and, you know, I don't know about you, but I've taken training myself and the the training that has stuck with me more is training that that company developed specifically with their culture in mind. So it wasn't just a cookie cutter, like go and take this, you know, test and, and, you know, fill in the multiple choice and then you get, um, you get a certification or whatever. It was training that, um, I'll use Campbell's as an example. They, they did, um, training, uh, that they built internally called the road to profitability, which is grounded in total delivered cost or total cost of ownership. And the way they did it was so cross-functional with finance being really deeply involved along with supply chain and marketing and R and D. And we all went through it together And that was really powerful. And you would not get that kind of training um, off the shelf. So companies, you know, you you reap what you sow. (laughs) In a way, people did feel um, invested in at Campbell's and um, at other companies that I've been at. And I hear that today from um, I see it with companies who, uh, you know, I, we've worked with companies, other universities work with companies on um, development programs and education programs. And I 
I really think that that is uh, where competitive advantage may come from, from companies in the future is that they develop targeted development. Because just from a practical, like going back to my quant um, background again, I would look at it and say, okay, you know, when I was a VP at Domino's, I would look at who did we send through training? Um, what did that do relative to retention? What did it do relative to um, any uh, skill gaps that we see in their competencies and their ability to work with others or their understanding of the process? And um, by looking at training ourselves, then we could do a better job of, well, this isn't just about any one person gapping in what we're trying to explain. It's kind of, we got a lot of people that don't get it. So it's not about them, it's about us. And we have to figure out a different way to approach this. So doing, taking a more strategic and active role in your, the development of your own training curriculum gives you a better handle on, is it hitting the mark? And then you measure your own, does it help you with retention? Yeah, and I think a lot of employees like to see that the company is willing to invest in them. Right. And, and, and another way to sort of look at it, too, is from a culture and team building standpoint. I mean, team building doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, an example of, you know, axe throwing or, you know, going bowling <laughs> Or something like that. Although those are a lot of fun, um, but you know the continuing continuing education point. If you're going to send a team together to go and do some training and things like that, that can also be a really good opportunity for team building. Right, right. Like I at Domino's, they did this really great thing uh, where they would have rising talent teams and they would pick people cross functionally to be part of a team to take on a real project for the company and to present back. They worked on it for months and they would have a sponsor. I sponsored two of our rising talent teams and it was a competition and uh, they would present in front of uh, the CEO and senior leadership and, and then it would be voted on who won. And I just want to go on record saying I was two for two with my teams. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> yes, you definitely have to get that in. <laughs> I have to get in. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we, we sort of talked about, um, you know, continuing education sort of being uh, maybe a team building piece or retention piece. But how are companies winning in talent management? I know there's a bit of a shortage. Mm -hmm. um, so let's sort of talk about that for a second. Hmm. You know, um, I'd say... I see it a lot of different ways. And, uh, you know, it, it feels like the classic um, academic response of saying, well, you know, it depends, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that um, companies who have really invested in uh, trying to figure out uh, what is it that they are, who are they appealing to and who's, you know, they have a good grounded understanding and who are they trying to recruit at what levels? And then what are the things that are really important to them? Is it belonging? Is it uh, sustainability? Is it, um, you know, combination of those things? And then how can that best be represented if it's really authentic, if that is really what we can market, there's 
a woman who has a really great website called The Muse, Kate Minshaw. And she um, presented um, and talked about how it's about coaching companies to not sell themselves that, hey, you know, we're George Clooney, but who they really are is Seth Rogen. You know, no offense against Seth Rogen, but like present yourself as you really are and and you'll be more likely to retain people then. So Amazon, who says, you know, yeah, this is a, um, it's not going to be a cakewalk to work here, um, but here's what we do and this is what we're like. That is more authentic than companies who maybe um, say they're one thing, but you get in there and it's a quagmire of a lot of other things. Yeah, and I think they might need your your spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get back into women in supply chain. Where do you see the opportunities for women in supply chain? I supply chain, there's it's huge the opportunities. So it's a six to one ratio of jobs versus available talent for supply chain roles with a degree requirement. Supply chain manager is listed as number 18 on the top 50, and this is a best jobs in America report, but same concept. And um, Penske Logistics did a survey of young professionals who are three years out into the their roles and asked them, would you recommend supply chain to a friend? It's a, you know, a classic kind of gallop type question of, would you recommend this to a friend? And over 95% of people said that they would agree to that or strongly agree that they would recommend to a friend supply chain. So it's, I mean, that's, those are really telling statistics, not even uh, gender bound in any way. Universally, supply chain is a really great field. For women, then it's, it's great to be in that mix of there are a lot of opportunities. There are more opportunities than people there. So there are chances for you to stand out. And, um, and then I guess my last thing that I use when I talk to students about building awareness for supply chain is to have them think about, you know, where really do they think that the decisions about sustainability and collaboration are, are made? They're in supply chain, like 90% of them are in, because we are a boundary spanning discipline where we bridge all kinds of different functions and help people, you know, think about, um, we line up with finance sometimes because we understand the costs of things, but then sometimes we line up with marketing because we understand the growth opportunity and we can enable it. So we line up with HR because it's all about people getting the work done. You know, we span lots of different functional boundaries. Yeah. And there's, there's lots of opportunity for different skill sets yeah. as well. So supply chain has various different skill sets needed um, in various different components of the organization. And that's totally something that I think that women uh, in supply chain right now, or even women looking to get into supply chain need to remember. And there's not only, you know, just opportunities within organizations. And I, I can't believe it's six to one. 
on the talent side, which is just crazy to me. But there's also, you know, opportunities like travel. You know, a lot of people don't necessarily associate supply chain um, with potentially, you know, going to live in a different state or country or maybe even getting just to to travel and seeing different places while you're advancing your career. That's a great point. Yes. Uh, I've had that opportunity myself with, um, this was our 12th move coming to San Diego now. And uh, none of those, our moves weren't intentional. We didn't say, oh, you know, we really want to leave whatever city we were in. Um, They came along over the course of, time and uh, different development opportunities and or different roles. Uh, but I, I think that there's that aspect. I've also seen a little bit more stickiness on that with um, some of the, the folks that are like we are in a, a mentoring um, relationship together. I consider them mentoring me as much as me mentoring them. Um, so but they have really, uh, a few of them are more interested in staying longer in um, one place. And But still, supply chain is a great opportunity for them because they can uh, port their skills from one functional area within supply chain. It just builds on it to bring that awareness and understanding to another area within supply chain. So if you started in logistics, bringing that to operations really helps or vice versa or logistics to procurement or procurement to logistics there. You don't uh, lose by moving from one functional area to another either. You've just expanded your footprint and uh, to me, your career runway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another really great point. So before we wind this down, one last question to you. I mean, this episode has been so full of insight and advice, but what is maybe your last piece of advice? Hopefully you have some left, you know, what is your advice to young women looking to get into supply chain? Hmm. Uh, I'll give the advice that uh, my mentor at Campbell's, Irene Britt, she uh, led the the food and beverage division, and then she went on to be president of uh, Pepperidge Farm. Um, She told me when I asked her that same question, um, her advice was take the messy jobs, you know, take the things that really need fixing, work on the problems that no one's been able to solve. Um, In that approach, it's been fun and really rewarding. Uh, I think it helped me enjoy my jobs and the work that my teams did uh, so much more because I loved that I purposely chose to be in the messy situations and we would find the humor in it every day. Like it was crazy, but it was also like, yeah, this is fun to fix. Yeah, and it definitely means that you don't have the same day twice, that's for sure. So there you have it, listeners. Take the messy jobs. I mean, Mary has inspired excellence within me today, and I hope that our discussion today has inspired you as well. We will have more information about Mary at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 14, or connect with her on LinkedIn. I'll also have all of those 
social media links on that show page at our website. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Mary. Sarah, thank you so much. It's been really fun. 